There is no holiday today, at least not officially. For the most part, there's nothing special about today at all. Unless you have a lot of love. For local and regional government, if so, this and every other installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement will take aim at your heart, mind, or wherever, in your metaphorical sense of self, your new information is supposed to go. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, trying to look whatever the opposite of cherubic is. On today's program, Governor Glenn Youngkin issues a public service announcement asking people to get vaccinated, but he stops well short of a mandate. Charlottesville City Council transfers some money for a sidewalk to fire prevention measures. It's the day before crossover day and a quick General Assembly wrap-up and a very small piece of information about the upcoming Charlottesville Zoning Code update. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Charlottesville area tree stewards continue to offer classes in winter and spring to increase your awareness of our wooden neighbors and to prepare for the future. The next event is February 22nd at 7 p.m. when tree steward Emily Ferguson will help you look beyond the monotonous winter forest by focusing on the finer details that will help you differentiate between species of trees. Learn more at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. Thanks to the Tree Stewards for this shout-out. This morning, the Virginia Department of Health reports an average of 3,783 new COVID-19 cases, and the seven-day percent positivity has dropped to 11.1%. That's down from 19.7% a week ago. In the Blue Ridge Health District today, there were 46 new cases, and the percent positivity is at 14.6%. The Virginia Healthcare and Hospital Association reports 1,676 patients in hospital with a positive COVID test. That's down from 3,845 a month ago. As of today, 70.9% of Virginia's total population is considered fully vaccinated, but a smaller portion of that number has received a booster or third dose. That figure today is 2,754,159, according to the Virginia Department of Health. Today, Governor Glenn Youngkin launched a public service announcement encouraging people to get a vaccine, but added that he will do nothing to require anyone to get one. But in Virginia, there's a better day right around the corner. I won't mandate it, but the vaccine is the best way to protect our loved ones, our lives, and our livelihoods. Youngkin said he and his family did decide to get the vaccine. While the vaccine won't completely prevent you from contracting COVID-19, It makes it far less likely you'll be hospitalized or die from the virus. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control released a study indicating that those who have only had two doses likely have their immunity fade after four months, but more study is needed to determine the efficacy of the booster or third dose. This morning, the University of Virginia Health System announced that additional visitation will be once again allowed at various facilities. A press release sent out this morning said that this is due to decreasing COVID cases. Visitors must wear a mask at all times and cannot have any symptoms or contagious diseases. Public spaces, including cafeterias and lobbies, remain closed. Visit the UVA Health website for more details. 
Construction of a roundabout at the intersection of US 250 and Route 151 in Albemarle County is moving ahead. This week, a section of Route 151 in northwest Nelson County will be closed overnight to allow installation of pipes for three waterways to be temporarily diverted during the project's construction. According to a release, traffic will be detoured using Goodlow Lane and Old Turnpike Road from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. each night. The project is one of several funded in the second round of the Virginia Department of Transportation's SmartScale process. SmartScale is a system that funds projects based on a series of criteria, including decreasing congestion and improving public safety. The application lists the reasoning for the project. US 250 is not able to handle overflow when incidents occur on I-64, resulting in significant delays. Other smart-scale projects funded that year include changes to I-64's Exit 118, conversion of Exit 124 to a diverging diamond, and a roundabout at the intersection of Profit Road and Route 20. Applications for Round 5 are currently being prepared. For more information on what the candidate projects are, visit the smart-scale site on the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission's website. One of those fifth-round candidates is a pedestrian bridge across the Rivanna River to connect woolen mills and pantops. Two choices are being reviewed by a stakeholder committee who will make a recommendation to the Charlottesville Area Metropolitan Planning Organization. A survey is now open through March 4th to gauge public feedback. Visit the TJPDC's website to fill out the survey and for more information. There's also a link to two recent Charlottesville community engagement stories in the newsletter. Charlottesville has begun the process of updating the city's zoning code to reflect both an affordable housing plan and a comprehensive plan that seeks to increase the number of places to live within city limits. An internal review by city staff took place on Thursday, according to Neighborhood Development Services Director James Fries. We're kind of slowly building up. Again, as you guys know, the the first product is that diagnostic and reproach report. things will really ramp up once that draft report is released. We are targeting a uh, kind of a mid-April date for the release of that report. Mark your calendar. Meanwhile, Albemarle County's comprehensive plan review kicks off this week with three pop-up events and a virtual meeting on Thursday. Read the Week Ahead newsletter for more information. Later this week, a task force appointed by City Council to make recommendations for how federal community development block grant funds are spent will meet. That's CDBG. Earlier this month, Council agreed to reallocate money a previous task force had opted to spend on a sidewalk on Franklin Street in Belmont, but less than staff had suggested. Aaron Attack is the city's grants coordinator. On January 14, 2021, Charlottesville was found to be non-compliant for the second consecutive year with CDBG spending requirements. HUD noted that Charlottesville's lack of spending performance was an issue. Attack said the city receives about $400,000 a year in CDBG funding from HUD, and they want it to be spent within a certain time. Based on the recommendations of a task force, council selected the sidewalk project, and its scope was much bigger than originally anticipated. The goal right now is to address the timeliness issue. By May, the city is required to spend approximately $227,973. Attack said that money can be used to address the COVID-19 pandemic. 
When she sent a comment round to city departments asking if they had any projects, the Charlottesville Fire Department had a project to spend $217,200. The fire department listed several housing maintenance activities, which included smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms, stovetop fire stop installations, and CPR assist devices, all of which were HUD eligible, could meet city council priorities to provide homeowner rehab and entitlement funding to priority neighborhoods listed in the Ridge Street and Belmont priority neighborhoods. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook asked if the balance could be given to Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville for their projects on Nassau Street, also in the Belmont neighborhood. Attack said that projects that receive federal funding are subject to much more scrutiny and that that money would not be spent in time. Snook pushed back. I mean, is that something where, oh, come on, surely if somebody just puts the pedal to the metal, we can make this happen? Or is it, oh, come on, this is the federal government you're talking about? In other words, is this, how, how serious is this? It is the risk that it doesn't get done if we give the money, if we suggest the money should go to that cause. Two members of city staff responded in unison. It's very serious. serious. That second voice was Alex Ikafuna, the interim director of the Office of Community Solutions. Councillor Sina McGill said she supported this use of funding, especially for carbon monoxide detectors, which she said the fire department often cannot provide. It's one of those things that keeps getting kicked off down the road. And whenever the fire department's got a little bit of extra somewhere, they try to put it into this. Um, And keeping houses from burning down is a way to keep them affordable, too. However, Councillor Michael Payne expressed concern about how this information was presented to the elected body. I don't think the process was adequate enough to feel like I was presented with options to choose from. I feel a little boxed in in terms of being presented only one option. And given this point in the process, um, that boxing us into needing to make one decision, I do feel like this was a wasted opportunity to at least evaluate and look as a policy option for council at possible expenditures on vitally needed affordable housing needs. To that end, council opted to spend less money than staff had suggested, with $140,585.49 to the fire department, rather than a higher amount recommended. Councillor Payne was the lone vote against. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in the second subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Natural Resources Committee of the League of Women Voters of the Charlottesville area wants you to know about a webinar coming up on Tuesday, February 15th at noon. They'll talk about renewable sources of electrical power, challenges, and promises. How can we develop renewable sources without endangering our ecological systems? The seminar will feature Dan Holmes from the Piedmont Environmental Council and Jeff Hammett with Apex Clean Energy. They'll address some of the complexities in switching utility-scale electric power from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources. Register for the Zoom and get ready to learn. That's tomorrow, February 15th at noon. One more segment today, and we are one day from crossover day in the General Assembly. So let's check the statistics before the action begins today. Well, actually, that this was all up to date as of 7 a.m. this morning. There's been some action since then. 
A total of 2,501 bills and resolutions have been introduced this year, and 351 of them have been killed through various actions. Another 143 will come back in 2023. The Senate has passed 592 pieces of legislation, and the House of Delegates has passed 572. The Senate has passed four bills from the House of Delegates that have already crossed over, but the House of Delegates has yet to do the same. Those bills include a non-controversial bill that would require the State Registrar of Records to update the Board of Elections once a week of people who have died so they can be removed from the voter rolls. Other bills that have passed the Senate and require House passage include a bill to require absentee ballots to be sorted in the precinct where the voter lives, as opposed to a central district, passed the Senate unanimously. Localities would be required to provide data to the state once a year on emergency sheltering capabilities if Senate Bill 60 passes. The Senate passed it unanimously. Voters in Martinsville will decide whether the city should revert to town status in Henry County in a bill that passed the Senate 32 to 8. A similar bill passed the House of Delegates on an 82 to 18 vote and is before the Senate Local Government Committee. The town of St. Charles in Lee County would be terminated under Senate Bill 589, which passed unanimously. Sports betting establishments and casinos will not be able to use the phrase, Virginia is for betters, under Senate Bill 96, which passed the Senate unanimously. A bill to create the Virginia Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Historic Preservation Fund passed the Senate on a 30 to 10 vote. A bill that would require those who use a farm use tag on their vehicle to get it from the Department of Motor Vehicles passed the Senate unanimously. Similar legislation has passed the House of Delegates. Currently, several localities in the James River watershed have combined sewer and stormwater systems, which results in effluent being released into waterways. The Senate passed a bill on a 36-4 vote to speed up the deadline to change that from 2035 to 2030. In 2020, the General Assembly passed legislation requiring the creation of a Marcus Alert System that would alert public safety responders of a person's mental state so that a non-violent response could be made by trained mental health specialists. The Senate passed a bill unanimously to clarify that participation by localities would be optional. Hazing that leads to someone's death would be a Class 6 felony under Senate Bill 440, which passed the Senate on a 30-10 to 10 vote. The Department of Corrections would need to convene a work group to review fees that are charged to inmates for various services, such as telephone use, meals, and medical records, if this bill also passes the House. The Senate approved it on a 31-9 to 9 vote. Under Senate Bill 491, the Virginia African Diaspora Advisory Board would be established to advise the governor on ways to increase trade and cultural exchange between Virginia and African nations. The bill passed the Senate unanimously. A bill to allow for recall collections for certain officers in Virginia passed the Senate on a 21-18 to 18 vote. A bill to create a grant program to help localities develop wildlife corridor plans and implement them passed on a 29-10 to 10 vote. Now let's go to some bills from the House of Delegates. Virginia law currently states that elementary and secondary students cannot be considered to be engaged in criminal disorderly conduct if they're on school property. House Bill 89 would change that to refer to kindergarten through eighth grade. That would pave the way for high school students to potentially be arrested for 
public inconvenience, annoyance, or alarm, or recklessly creating a risk thereof. That passed the House of Delegates on a 52 to 48 vote. Virginia has a shortage of mental health beds, and HB 105 would study the transformation of Catawba Hospital into a facility for substance abuse treatment and recovery services. This passed the House on a 99 to 0 vote. Currently, invasive plant species can be sold in Virginia. Under House Bill 314, the Department of Agricultural and Consumer Services would need to develop signage to be given to retailers to point out the benefits of native plants and the hazards of invasive ones. This passed the House 99 to 0. A bill to allow parks authorities the ability to install electric vehicle chargers passed the House on a 94 to 6 vote. A bill to allow homeschooled children the ability to play in public school sports passed the House 50 to 49. Stealing catalytic converters would be a Class 6 felony under House Bill 740, which passed the House on a 69 to 30 vote. A bill to require voters to present a photo ID before casting a ballot passed 52 to 48. A bill to require school boards to hold a public hearing before adopting cultural competency requirements passed 51 to 48. And finally, 7th and 8th graders in public school would have to undergo at least one hour of personal safety training in physical education class if House Bill 1215 makes it through. The House adopted that 99 to 0. There will be more General Assembly stuff as the session continues. But that is it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for February 14th, a day that um, it's a day. It's like all the other days. But uh, I do hope that you have enjoyed this program. Uh, There's information in here. There's still so much I wanted to get in. This is actually the second time I've recorded my voice doing this. Uh, There was a slight error with the first one, and there was a slight delay in me being able to get back to make sure this came out on this day, which does not have any significance whatsoever. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and you are the people who are listening. And of course, so many of you now are helping to support the program, and the audience is in fact growing. There was a good cohort of people who came in over this weekend, and I'm really glad, and I hope you stick around. And of course, if you are listening to this for one of the first times, thank you. Um, This is a show that is produced as a podcast and a newsletter each and every time. Personally, I prefer the podcast version, and that's why the newsletter version is late today, because as I said... I still have to figure out some recording equipment that uh, did not work as I hoped it would today. You don't need to know that, but what I need you to know is that if you want to support this program, please go to infocville.com and click on the support the info button. There's a bunch of options there. Drop me a line if you have any questions, but seriously, thank you to all of the people who subscribed over this weekend. I think I've gotten to most of you with thank yous uh, and personalized thank yous, but I really do appreciate it. It really does help me make sure, make me think I can keep doing this for as long as you guys want to pay me. I am Sean Tubbs. This is the end of the program. I will be back tomorrow. Please stay safe. Stay warm out there. Don't stay stagnant. Uh, Challenge yourself and try to learn some new things. That's the best way, I think, to be human. And it's why I produce this program as often as I can. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.